James, thank you, brother. Yes. Well, good morning. If you have your scriptures, will you please open them up to Psalm 134? And if you are able, will you please stand out of reverence to God's holy and inspired word as it is read this morning? Psalm 134, a song of ascents. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. I don't know what your normal pattern for family vacations is, but for me growing up and even now, it is a family vacation is we load up the car we load up the minivan, load up the SUV, and we drive somewhere. We drive to the mountains, we drive to the beach, we go see friends, we go see family. Now growing up, we had a minivan. We had one of the original Chrysler or Dodge Caravan minivans. And it was our custom that, um, for my sister and I, when we, were small, when we were little kids, my parents would take the middle seat out of the minivan and put down a big blanket. And that's where we rode whenever we were driving somewhere. Uh, it was great. And, you know, my, my daughters did not get to experience that joy because they grew up in an era where we had things like seatbelt laws and child seat laws and things like that. Uh, we were just free. We were just, in, you know, just hanging out on the, on the floor of the van. But it was a lot of work to get the van loaded up, to get the, the SUV loaded up with all, not just the luggage you would need for the vacation, but with all the provisions for the trip itself. You needed entertainment, you needed snacks, you needed more snacks, you needed more entertainment. Um, now we have, you know, iPads and phones. You can watch movies the whole way. Uh, before that wasn't an option. We had to have card games and there were, we had little portable travel versions of all these different games and we would play them as we went, but it was great. But then you'd go to wherever you were going. You'd go to the mountains, you'd go to the beach, you'd go to whatever city you were going to visit. You would see the people you went to see. You would experience the things you went to experience. And then what would happen a few days or a week or so later, you gotta pack it all back up load the van up again, repack everything. And it's harder to repack when you're going back home. For some reason, the luggage that fit on the way there doesn't fit on the way back anymore. But you load it back up and you head home. And sometimes you find that, you know, this trip was everything that we hoped for. This vacation was everything we dreamed it would be. Sometimes you come and you realize, oh, you know what, this was kind of a disappointment. The beach wasn't that nice this year, or that restaurant we went to wasn't as good as advertised. Or maybe the time with family wasn't as sweet as we had hoped it might have been. Sometimes, you know, it feels like going back to the quote-unquote real world is, is a, it's a dousing of cold water that you're really not looking forward to. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you're feeling refreshed and revived and ready to get back to normal, everyday, real world, so to speak. And we'll have to ask Adam next week what, which one he's feeling coming back from sabbatical. But this exactly is where we find ourselves in Psalm 134. Psalm 134 is the end of our songs for the road. We've done it. We made it. We did the whole series. Yay! And it's the end. This psalm is actually, as it's the end of the road, it's really, it doesn't end though with the end. It ends with a, how do we continue on? As we set the stage, and we'll talk more about it as we go through, this psalm is about the end of the journey, so to speak, but realizing that the, the, the real journey is still going on. 
as the pilgrims who would sing these songs for the road, these psalms of ascent, these 15 psalms from 120 to 134, as they would sing them for the three high festival days a year that they would go to Jerusalem to worship in these great congregations. This is the song that they would sing as they were leaving Jerusalem to go back home. Eugene Peterson, as we, as we, he describes this, as we go from Psalm 120 to 134, we began our road trip back in Memorial Day weekend with Psalm 120. And now we're ending it here on Labor Day weekend in Psalm 134. But Eugene Peterson describes this whole journey like this. He says, in Psalm 120, the first of the songs of ascent, we saw the theme of repentance develop, a turning away from the world and a turning towards God, the initial move in a life goal set on God. It was addressed to the person out at the crossroads, inviting each of us to make the decision to set out on the way of faith. Each of the Psalms following had described a part of what takes place along this pilgrim way among the people who have turned to God to follow Him in Christ. We have discovered in these Psalms beautiful lines, piercing insights, dazzling truths, stimulating words. We have found that the world in which these Psalms are sung is a world of adventure and challenge, of ardor and meaning. We have realized that while there are certainly difficulties in the way of faith, it cannot by any stretch of the imagination be called dull. It requires everything that is in us. It enlists all our desires and abilities. It gathers our total existence into its songs. But when we get to where we're going, what then? What happens at the end of faith? What takes place when we finally arrive? Will we be disappointed? Psalm 134, the final song of ascents, provides the evidence. The way of discipleship that begins in an act of repentance concludes in a life of praise. It doesn't take long to find the key word and the controlling thought in the psalm, bless God, bless God, God bless you. We've come to the end of our journey through the songs of the road, but even the last song is not a song of the end, but a song of how to continue the journey. Psalm 134 closes out the Psalms of Ascent by teaching us that the life that blesses God is a life that is blessed by God. The very act of praising God is a blessing in and of itself. And plus, God promises to add His own blessing to it. Our whole lives are meant to be worship. Every thought, every word, every action. As Christians, we are called to live a life that brings praise and honor and blessing to God. And when we do, we will also know that God's blessing on our lives. This psalm does, gives us both of these things. This psalm gives us both, and it's entirely made up of a call to worship and a benediction. That's how we begin every worship service here at Church of the Redeemer. We begin worship proper with a call to worship. And we end worship with a benediction. And this is Psalm 134. It's the call to worship, and it's the benediction. We have the call to worship, bless the Lord. That repeated phrase, bless the Lord. And we have the benediction, may the Lord bless you. So first off, this, this call to worship, bless the Lord. Let's talk about this. What does it mean to bless the Lord? We sung the song, bless the Lord on my soul. Blair read for us a great historical example from the Gospels of God's people blessing Christ himself as he wrote in on that Palm Sunday. What does it mean to bless the Lord? See, that when God blesses us, 
He is imparting to us that which we lack. When God blesses us, or even when we bless each other, we're giving to each other something that makes us more. We're better off because of it. Either spiritually, emotionally, financially, however. But God, God has no lack. God cannot grow. He is eternally blessed God. We, we cannot add anything to God. God is uh, unchanging. God is complete. God is whole. There's nothing we can do to add to God. We in worship, as we worship God, God never comes on a Sunday morning and says, you know what, I was feeling kind of down this week. This week's been hard. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the praise. I really needed that this day. I'm feeling better now. I think I can go face the rest of the week. God never says that. God is complete and God is whole whether we worship Him or not. So what does this mean when we talk about bless the Lord? This, this cry, this imperative, this command that says bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless the Lord? It means that we praise Him. We celebrate Him as God. Both who He is and what He has done for us. Again, God blessing us we get. Something is imparted to us. We come, we come away more whole. But when, God, when we bless Him, we rejoice over the excellencies that is God. We bless Him by honoring Him and esteeming Him in our hearts and in our lives and praising Him with all that we are. Again, we come back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number one, what is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Chief end. Main purpose, telos, ultimate. Why do you exist? Why do I exist? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The ability there to cry out to God in praising Him, in glorifying Him, blessing Him for who He is. That is not only our great purpose, the reason for which we were created, but that is our response to what God has done for us. That's our response to what God has done for us in the temporal sense, in the, in the smaller blessings, and it is the ultimate response to God's ultimate blessing of redemption that He has accomplished for us through the work of Jesus Christ. What we see here is that we do not bless a distant and disconnected God. We bless a God who is involved. We bless a God who has come, Emmanuel, God with us. We've talked about this before. We've seen this already throughout these songs for the road, that God is both transcendent and imminent. He is big and awesome and out there, but he is also personal and here. It's this idea of, that we're going to get to in a little bit of praise, blessing the Lord from Zion. May the Lord bless you from Zion. But we bless a God who is involved with his creation. Well, bless a God who comes to creation, who spoke creation into being, but then in, even in the very act of creation is making us got dirt under his fingernails, so to speak, informing man in his image, breathing life into him, forming woman out of man. God is deeply, personally, intimately involved in his creation the Bible teaches, of course, that we love Him because He first loved us. We love in response to His love. So when the psalmist tells the priest to bless the Lord, they know it is the way the priest should respond to all that God has done. 
We do not initiate with God. God initiates with us. God is the first mover. That's why this idea of a call to worship. God calls us to come to Him. God calls us to worship Him. This is not something that we came up with. It's not that we were seeking God and we happened to find Him. God comes to us. God seeks out us. God calls us to Himself. We see that even in the midst of a of a broken, sinful, painful world, a world full of tragedy and disaster, trials and pains. We see a God who says, I am coming to bless you. Even as we bless Him. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. We see here this great reality. The psalm is really, it's not exactly clear, but both... um, Sinclair Ferguson and, and James Montgomery Boyce believe that they point out like this sounds a lot like the people of God, the great gathered people of God who have all come to Jerusalem for one of these great three high holy day festivals throughout the year. That this is the psalm that they would sing as they're leaving. As they're leaving Jerusalem. Look at verse 1. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. This is the people exhorting the priests and the Levites who work in the temple. That's their full-time job, to stay working in the temple, taking care of the temple, doing the regular worship and sacrifices of it. It's a call and response between the pilgrims. We're going back home, but y'all are staying here. I don't know how this exhortation from the pilgrims to the priest sounds to you. Um, but the people are telling the spiritual leadership to bless the Lord while they're gone. And it may sound like modern congregations, like y'all saying, okay, we're leaving, but hey, Matt, you and Adam, you stay here. Y'all, y'all pray, y'all, y'all do the blessing, y'all be spiritual and stuff. We're going back out in the real world, but you stay here and do the spiritual things. That's not, the, that's not the parallel we should draw. That's not the image that we should draw. The people are, it's not for y'all to say, okay, we're going home, we're going back to our jobs, we're going back to the real world, you stay here, do your job, bless the Lord, and do the spiritual things. We have this great principle that in the Old Testament, the priesthood was this set-apart special group. Only a very select number of people could be priests. And the priests had very uh, rigorous requirements, and rigorous responsibilities, and only one of the priests was the high priest that could go into the Holy of Holies one day a year after doing all of the the ritual cleansing and prayers and sacrifices. But what we have now, the priesthood is not just for a select small group of people. Because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, that he has been the one-for-all sacrifice, that the, 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 the Spirit of God now dwells with all of His people, we have this great uh, principle that we call the priesthood of all believers. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are redeemed by His work, if you are saved by the blood of Christ, guess what? You are a priest. Did you know you have that job? You do. It's not that the pastors are the priests. It's not that the ruling elders are the priests. All of God's people are priests. Peter writes this in 1 Peter, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He then goes on to say that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Every believer is a priest before God. Every blood-bought Christian has complete access to the throne of God. Not just one day a year after a whole big ritual, but all of the time, continually. The sacrifices we offer to God are straightforward. We we do not offer sacrifices of, of redemption That one has already been accomplished. We offer our living sacrifices, as Paul writes about them. The excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of us are called to bless the Lord. The ancient pilgrims in Psalm 134 told the priests to act like priests. And priests bless the Lord. The priests stand before the Lord. They bless the Lord. They are telling the priesthood to live out their identity. They are telling the priesthood, be who you are. You are priests, act like it. That's their parting word. But we need to do the same. But we need to recognize who we are in this psalm. We are not just the crowd leaving, telling the priests to act like priests. In this psalm, we now on this side of the cross, on this side of redemption, looking back to Jesus, we fulfill both sides of this. We are both the people exhorting the priests, and we are the priests being exhorted. You are priests. Act like it. Live out this role. Fulfill this role that you have. Our calling is high and great. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Our calling is great. To bless the Lord. And we do so not only when things are good, not only when everything is working, but we do so even when things are difficult. The worshipers are leaving the temple. Envision the scene here. This is centuries before Christ would come. The worshipers are now leaving the temple. They're leaving Jerusalem. And perhaps the priests who have been a, a kind of jazzed up about this, they, you know, you get those big events and it's been real exciting. Crowds of people, the temple packed, Jerusalem packed, all of God's people together. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But now everybody's leaving. And it's kind of like, you know, January 9th when you've just taken down all the Christmas decorations and families all gone back home. And it's like, Oh, everybody's gone. The decorations are all down. It seems very plain. But this is the encouragement. It says, by night, by night, the call to bless the Lord is not only for when it's easy, it's for when it is dark. You stand by night in the house of the Lord. We bless the Lord knowing that He is bigger than circumstances. He is bigger than emotions. Circumstances are real. Emotions are real. Pain, suffering, torment are real. But He is bigger than those. We don't simply bless the Lord when things are going the way we want them to go. We don't simply bless the Lord when when everyone is healthy and when the bank account is full. And when all the relationships are okay, we bless the Lord in the midst of trial. We bless the Lord from hospitals. We bless the Lord from funeral homes. We bless the Lord from empty bank accounts. We bless the Lord even from broken 
relationships. Because he is bigger than those things. The call to bless the Lord is not only for when it is easy, it's for when it is dark and by night. Let's talk about this, though. It says ways to bless. Look, look at verse uh, 2 here. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. I was born and raised Presbyterian. I've only ever been Presbyterian. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing or probably a mix of both. But when I hear, when I hear that, lift up your hands to the Lord. Okay, I know. That's this, right? Lift up your hands. Yep. Maybe this. This is, this is as high as my hands go. I can't lift them any higher. But there's something profound about our physical posture. We're going to talk about the benediction here in a moment, but there's something, there's a real reason that even in Presbyterian Reformed tradition, that when a minister is giving a benediction, he holds up his hand like this. There's a reason that we encourage those receiving the benediction to hold open hands. Because our physical posture, both in that scenario and in in many scenarios, reflects and influences the posture of our heart. The physical response of uplifted hands is often in the Old Testament associated with prayer. This was a gesture that signified both holiness, because God is holy, those who come before him in prayer must also be holy, and uplifted hands were a symbol that acknowledged the need of the one uplifting their hands. I have nothing to offer. I'm needy. I'm reaching out towards the one whom has what I need. I'm reaching out to the one who I need. I need grace. I need holiness. I need redemption. I need to be saved. And you, God, are the only one who can do that. I am reaching out to you. And in physically doing so, I'm training, I'm teaching my heart, my soul to do that same thing. The other physical posture that's described often in the Old Testament, particularly in prayer, is that of of lying prostrate on the ground, which is completely flat. I don't think we've ever actually done that in worship here, not since my time here anyway. Maybe we ought. We'll have a time of prayer where we all lay down on the floor completely, face down, acknowledging our utter dependence upon God. We have nothing to offer except for our childlike dependence. But blessing the Lord. So that's verses 1 and verses 2. But then we get to verse 3. May the Lord bless you. At the beginning of our journey to Jerusalem, way back in Psalm 120, 15 weeks ago, each pilgrim started out by themselves far away. And the prayer began like this, In my distress I called out to the Lord. The whole pilgrim life, the whole life of the disciple, the whole of life on the road, the reason we embarked on this long journey was this distress. They sought to escape it. They sought to come into a place of blessing. And the pilgrims, instead of looking elsewhere for such blessing, they said, we know it can only be found in God. The blessing we seek, the blessing we so desperately need, is not to be found out in the world. It's only to be found in God. So the first word of the songs for the road is distressed. And the last word of the songs for the road is blessed. The ancient pilgrims found what they were looking for in God. He traded their distress for his blessing. In covenant with him, they sought him. 
and therefore enjoyed his immense and gracious blessing upon their lives. Each pilgrim wondered what would happen if they first sought the kingdom of God. When they walked out of the temple then, after Psalm 134, to head home, they knew their answer. They said, they gave the call to the priest, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. And then the response from the priests to the people, the response from the priests to the people as they were leaving, a reminder of who they are, a reminder of the truth of who God is and what God is for them, a reminder of their identity. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. It's important to remember where the blessing of God is found. We seek blessing, we seek, uh, uh, we seek the good life in so many things. This psalm is a reminder once again that is only to be found in the Lord. That is only to be found in the Lord. Only God can produce this blessing. Not success or possessions or health or bank accounts or relationships in this earth. Only in the Lord. But as we climb towards God, as we seek to bless Him, we realize we are being blessed. The song declares Him to be the maker of heaven and earth. He made you. And as your maker, He understands who you are and how you work and what truly will bless your life. God's blessing shows that He is present. May the Lord bless you from Zion. Not a far off distant mythical place, but a real place. God has made His presence known with His people. May the Lord bless you really, tangibly. And God has given us what we call regular means of grace by which He has made Himself known. God, of course, is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is transcendent, but he has chosen to reveal himself through very particular, ordinary means. Through the reading and preaching of his word. Through prayer. Through the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Through fellowship and communion with other believers. God has made himself known, has made his blessing known, has shown that he is Deep and intimate with us. Uh, Derek Kinder says it this way. He says, as the, ones, I'm sorry, as the one who made heaven and earth, he gives without measure, and his ways are past finding out. Yet his blessing is from Zion, a particular and a discoverable place to which the Israelite could get up and go. Like his commandment, his blessing is not far off, not in heaven, not beyond the sea, but very near to you. His true Mount Zion is, as Hebrews 12, which we're going to get to several weeks as we go through our Hebrew study. His, very, his true Mount Zion is where Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, Hebrews 12, reigns in the midst of his people. God has come to us to bring his blessing to us. Seek the Lord that he may be found. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He writes, uh, says, I have tried since that moment, to make every pleasure into a channel of adoration. I don't mean simply by giving thanks for it. One must, one must, of course, continually give thanks, but I mean something different. 
Gratitude exclaims very properly, how good of God to have given me this. Adoration says, what must the character of that being whose far off and momentary uh, considerations are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. Y'all, the best thing of all, the great truth of this psalm is we don't have to wait until we get to the end of the road to experience what is at the end of the road. The benediction sends us out of gathered worship with a regular reminder that God's presence would be with us until we meet again. This is the promise of all of the Psalms of Ascent, of all the songs of the road. And this is what they end with. No matter where we are on the road, whether we are a long way off or almost home, God is with us. God blesses us. God loves us. It's worth noting that the pronoun, may the Lord bless you, That word you is singular in the Hebrew. It's emphasizing this focus on the individual in this moment. This is not a prayer merely for material prosperity or general community prosperity. This is the birthright of those who have found God's favor, who are in him, who worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship ought to be a joy and a delight, and this is a prayer for that kind of spiritual blessedness. It is a prayer that God would grant from Zion the same favor and fellowship with God and his people that the pilgrims had as they came to Jerusalem. He is, after all, the Lord who made heaven and earth. All the blessings that we truly need are at his disposal, and this ought to be a very real encouragement that we take with us. This psalm itself is given to us through the Holy Spirit, as a reminder and a summons to seek the blessings in our prayer and our praise of our Most High God. May He bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we are so deeply grateful for the fellowship and the encouragement that we find here gathered in in the gathering and the presence of Your people. When we lift up our hearts and hands and sing and read and hear and praise you in so many ways here this morning. May we be faithful to proclaim your word, to praise your name, to bless you with full hearts, not just in a mechanical way, but in spirit and in truth. Lord, may we thank you, we do thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who has sought us and saved us and accomplished our redemption. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who has applied that redemption to our hearts and drawn us back to you. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we may be found in that number on the last day. And may our praise extend through all eternity. We pray this in the name of our Savior Christ and for his sake. Amen.